hey, it's July, which means your plants are under stress. So we're going to talk about stress mitigation. We're going to talk about things that you can do before you even see those plants get stressed. That's what we're talking about today with my friend Ron Calhoun from Loveland Products. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where we cut your learning curve with insights you can apply immediately to your farming operation. This episode is presented by Loveland Products. When it comes to crop inputs, you need products that are field proven to deliver both results and value. For more than 50 years, Loveland Products has been providing farmers with high-performance, value-driven product solutions designed to maximize productivity on every acre. Visit lovelandproducts.com to see how their innovative products can help you farm more profitably. And now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey there, welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ice Cutting the Curve. I got Ron Calhoun from Loveland Products. I've got Kelly Garrett and I've got the Miles brothers. They're really not brothers, it's father and son, but I always think it's cute to call them brothers. That's Matt and Lane Miles out of McGee, Arkansas. We're talking about stress mitigation. Yes, we have talked about this subject before, but one of the big keys we're going to talk about today is detecting and preventing the stress before you see it in your plants. I mean, frankly, it's one of those things. By the time your plants are showing signs of distress, they've probably already cost you yield. So that's what we got going here. Um, Ron, you said something interesting before we hit the record button. You said, you know what? I don't know if we're going to stay on this topic. I just want it to be compelling and interesting and informative. Well, that's what you're here for. You're like a smart dude. You're the plant nutrition manager for Loveland. I think you have a PhD. And then you also said that you're in East Lansing, Michigan, which would imply that you went to Michigan State, which I think is kind of like Ivy Tech. But anyway, aside from that, now that I've bashed on you and your university, are you actually a Michigan State guy? I actually am. Yeah. Yeah, well, so I spent quite a bit of Smith, quite a bit of time in East Lansing. Yeah, well, you know, it's only about four and a half hours from West Lafayette. So if you can't get into Purdue, it's not a bad substitute. All right. Give me the straight scoop here, my friend. Um, stress. Heat, drought. We've talked about this a number of times in different webinars here. Um, and, you know, the big thing is, you know, we just talked about the weather. Kelly just got a nice patch of storms, all, all that. Last year, we were in McGee, Arkansas, where the miles are. And Matt said, you know what, Damien, the problem is my plants are like an athlete that never gets to come out of the field. I mean, you know, it's like 105 degrees during the day and then it doesn't cool down at night. So when we think about stress, we always think about heat and dry. But that's not the only stress, is it? Well, in your op opening salvo here, you really offered a lot of things that could be could be unpacked. You know, one of the first things you said was by the time you see it, it might be a little bit too late. And I think a lot of us have this idea that we're going to sort of plan for plan A. And even when you hear people talk about like the average weather patterns, there's never an average year. There's never a no well, there's only an average year. There's never a normal year. It's just the middle of all the extreme years, right? And so we kind of make a plan through the winter, go out, execute that plan. But I think it it would be important for all of us to try and always have a plan B or plan C. Like there's probably going to be conditions where it's a little too dry or too cold at planting. There's probably going to be times where that moisture doesn't quite come at that right time after uh, emergence, or we get uh, an unexpected kind of dry spell where we a lot of times would expect the moisture to kind of take us through the beginning of summer. Then things dry off. Well, what about when that doesn't happen? And so trying to manage that stress, we're giving up bushels at all these times where it doesn't seem as showy. As you think about maybe other times of year where you where you'd maybe associate it because the plants a lot more developed so if we can do things to get to you know uh, better emergence get that canopy closed up try to overcome some of those stresses um the athlete was it kelly that made the athlete comment about not coming off the field 
mean, she was mad that did that. I mean, when you oh, look okay, at Matt? him, when you look that's... at him, it, it look, Kelly looks like he could be an athlete, but the real athlete here is Matt. Gotcha. I see it right away. But anyway, that's super insightful, right? Because um, one of the ways that plants overcome stress is by changing what they do. So if you think about like a pie of energy, you only have 100% of that energy available. Instead of using a certain amount of that pie for performance, the reallocating part of that part of that pie for plant defense or stress mitigation and a younger plant has a lot less ability to do that because the sorts of compounds that a plant makes to overcome some of that they're very expensive from like a metabolic standpoint and so the more energy they're putting into surviving uh, the less energy that they're putting into preparing to be successful for things as we drive towards yield and that kind of thing so it's certainly a lot more showy later in the season, but early in the season, managing it can be can be pretty important. And, and uh, so overcoming things like I said, when our, a diminished root system, small plant doesn't have a lot of uh, of ability to to do that and uh, to overcome those stresses. And it's really going to put a drain on the system. You said that I opened up with an opening salvo with with a lot of things to unpack. And then you just took this topic clear over here. I think you should be the host of this show, frankly, Ron. I'm telling you what. All right, so uh, Matt's been nodding his head. I've probably learned more about stress mitigation in the two years I've worked with Extreme Ag than I learned in the entire 50-some years prior to that. Uh, Matt said once in a webinar... Really, when you think about being a farmer, everything we do is about reducing stress because obviously it, it, it's not it's not the the lack of technology, it's not the lack of genetics. It's usually mm -hmm. stress and, and that causes mm -hmm. us to lose yield, right? Mm -hmm. So, Matt, go ahead, take off from what uh, Ron was saying there on uh, the is issue about detecting it before it's starting to cause you problems and uh, the showy aspect of it. Well, Ron kind of made me tingly inside because I've never really heard it explained exactly like he did that that was pretty freaking awesome and i know kelly was sitting there thinking the same thing uh you know prior to i will say prior to xa you know we 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 were relieving stress we've been doing this for years but it was through irrigation you know timing of planting all these different things after i met kelly and i met the guys from extreme ag and kelly's done extensive research on on stress mitigation products and you know there's a whole nother drawer full of toys that we can play with besides just normal uh basic agronomy you know to relieve stress so uh, when damon I, I i tend to relate everything to sports and and so what you, you have to condition this plant from day one when you put it in the soil to try to relieve stress and be as healthy as it as it can be we all get up and take vitamins we get up when we're sick we take aspirin you know there's different things that we do to keep our body in check if we're a parent we're sending our kids to school with the right clothes on, whether it's hot, whether it's cold. If it's cold, they're going to have a coat with them. If it's hot, they're going to not have, you know, you're not going to have all that on them to make them feel better and to be more healthy. So we start from day one, we put that seed in the ground with, uh, you know, like Ron brought up, uh, Radiate. You know, Radiate's going to go in, Radiate's going to go in on our next pass. Uh, all through the year, we're adding these stress mitigators and it may be the stress mitigator may be a, an irrigation timing. You know, it might not necessarily be a product or a product, you know, that, that you buy over the counter. It, there's, there's organic ways to relieve stress. And then there's ways that we can input things into the plant to do the same thing. And it's a combination of both of them and just keeping that plant happy and healthy. You know, if a plant's got, it has an unhappy day, he's going to lose a bushel. You know, you take a corn plant every day, mm -hmm. he's unhappy. 
there's yield loss. You know what? I think the number for corns north of 600 when you open the bag and we make, you know, 240, 230, 220, you know, some of the guys make more than that. So you can see how much we screw that up ourselves and also how the environment screws it up too. So uh, having those different tools in the toolbox, the number one goal is to keep the plant healthy. I know I'm getting along. No, you're not getting that long, by the way, uh, if you're listening to this and you're saying, what was Matt just talking about? What he means is the yield potential based on the genetics. And Kelly said this just two weeks ago when I was up in Iowa. Uh, he said, we give seed too much credit when it's a good year. We give seed too much uh, uh, blame when it's a bad year. The reality is the bag of seed can make 600 bushels. It's every other limiting factor. The seed, the genetics are not the limit. And I don't care which brand you're talking about. Yes, we have a company that we work with or two, but the point is the genetics are there. So anyway, Kelly, expand on that. What Just in the last two years, what you've learned, because you made a stress-free stress crop was one of your big goals in 2022, uh, of course, then you have duratios and various things like that. It's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, you know, no matter what you're doing, sometimes, uh, mother nature still puts the hammer down on you. The weather is definitely out of our control when it comes to stress. I, I like to say that we don't know what a stress-free crop looks like because we've never seen one. And we as farmers or we as humans, a lot of times, uh, we take the visual aspect too far. And if we can't see it, we don't believe that it's happening. You know, whether that's the root system or the way, you know, the plant is exuding ethylene or whatever it is to, to say that it's under stress. And there's different products that we'll put in furrow like Radiate or Accomplish Max. There's different things that we'll spray foliar. But Matt is right. And I, my perspective changed a little bit away from just a pure stress mitigation product. So like Matt said, the, the irrigation pests or the fungicide pests. Now uh, here, we believe that, uh, that our crops are out of balance. We've got too much nitrogen. We don't have enough of everything else. So anytime I can bring that crop into balance and make it healthier, I'm making it less stressful. It's more stress-free. It's a better crop. So everything we're doing to in increase efficiency in the crop, increase balance in the crop, never to have a bad day, just like Matt said, that, mm -hmm. that's taking away the stress. And I really don't feel that we have added to our budget because that's immediately the concern of some growers is do I have to spend more money? I, I say that I think we're probably spending about 25% too much on fertilizer and specifically NP and K. And we need to pay more attention to micronutrients and stress mitigation products, including PGRs, to really come full circle and have a balanced approach. You get, this is probably the easiest job of hosting I've ever had to do because Ron's such a good guest and you guys are good uh, on this subject. Lane, you haven't said anything yet. So just to prove to everybody you exist, can you say something about stress mitigation? Uh, you know, I like stress mitigation, Damien. It makes us make better yields. All right. So talk to me about the uh, the thing here, Ron, on these uh, these products. Kelly said this a number of times, and by the way, it absolutely, it makes the people from the ag retail business go bananas when he says we probably are overspending on fertility because they like selling fertilizer, right? They like selling stuff. It's really not a lack of fertility that's holding us back. It's stress, right? Is that, is the, is the reason we don't have bigger yields a stressed crop? Well, I think the, uh, the, the illustration you guys use of, of losing yield every step of the way, right? So there's 600, that 600 bushels of potential, right? How did we store it? There's a little hole poked in that bag. 
when did we plan it? Little hole poked in that bag. How was it at? I mean, every little thing is poking that hole in that bag all the way through. I, I love that. I love that illustration you guys gave of of kind of using that. Everything's fighting against us. Um, so when I think about stress, so how do plants get their nutrients? They drink their nutrients. And how do they do that? Through the roots. So uh, a couple mentions there, we're talking about using radiate and furrow. So what we have in there is a, a ratio of IBA and kinetin that is similar to what you would see in the plant. And when a plant has solar panels, has that apical meristem, that's where the auxin gets produced. And when that auxin gets to the root system, the root system says, hey, there's solar panels that I need to support. I better increase the root system. That root system then flushes back through to kinetin. It tells it to make more solar panels. Well, in those root hairs is where you're getting those nutrients in, right? So if we can have a plant not be stressed, it's going to be able to access more of the nutrition. So, you know, Kelly, it may be that we're we're uh, putting on too much, but because of the inefficiencies we have at getting to that nutrition, that's sort of that 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 cost that we're having to do right now uh, to to get that what we need into into the plant. So certainly, I think we can do more with what we're applying, and you'll see that idea of nutrient use efficiency. Um, you know, that that is a thread that goes through the products that I'm trying to manage for for Loveland is how can we get more out of those out of those inputs? And absolutely, when a plant is shutting down productivity to go into defense mode, it's not going to be able to use those nutrients because it's trying to it's trying to use those for other things. And you're not going to it might still be using some of those nutrients, but it's not going to end up in yield. And so then Kelly also mentioned about using something like Accomplish Max. You know, half of the half of the components of Accomplished Max is an extract from a cold water seaweed. So here you have a tidal plant that for uh, half of the day is flooded and half of the day is laying on a rock baking in the sun. That plant has chemistry in it that allows it to ex to survive and thrive in a very extreme condition, right? Salt water, flooded salt water, no salt water baking on the side of a rock. We can extract the chemistry from that plant, put it in there, and now you have this young plant that maybe it's maybe you have some salt tolerance issues. You're putting it on in a in a furrow where you have maybe some nutrition in there. You have things that get a little bit cold. Uh, you have other sorts of stresses that happening. Well, we're exogenously, which means from the outside. I don't know why I use that word. My kids always roll their eyes. I apologize for that. But we're applying uh, those products to the plant and getting that plant to respond as if it created that chemistry for itself and it gives us that same sort of response where it can now tolerate a situation that it would not normally tolerate and so we're getting a little bit more out of each of those early days with something that we put in furrow like the two products that those guys mentioned well now we get a little bit further on here we have other things that we can do to try to manage that we don't want to slow that plant up when it goes from being a juvenile to now going into more of a vegetative we're creating all those solar panels to kind of push us towards reproduction we want to kind of keep that wheel spinning spinning the whole time and so we i totally agree i think it was matt that said it you know we talked about aspirin or working out and health these stress products these are things that we do as part of a program this is not a silver bullet or a brass ring that somehow you can now abandon good agronomy all right you need a great plan a great base you better be working out. You better be eating well. You better be drinking plenty of water. And then, oh, by the way, if you need to take that nutritional supplement or take that, uh, that the, you know, Flintstones vitamin, that's great. 
uh, to add on to that, but don't rely everything on this on this last thing that you're doing. This should be part of a of an overall program. Honestly, I, you're the best guest I've had on in two years. Uh, all right, even the Flintstone Vitamins. You need a you need a bigger you need a bigger pool to pick from. <laughs> hey, I want to ask you this question though, in all seriousness. So you know, you're a student. What say thirty years ago or so um, at Michigan State. They didn't come into botany 305 or whatever classes you took and talk about using extracts from seaweed to spray on crops. I mean, this is a, so, so it was some pretty far out stuff 30 years ago. And now it's like, yes, of course, this makes sense. You've got a plant that can somehow yeah. live in this extreme environment. Why not learn from it? Isn't it kind of interesting how far things have come just in the last few decades in that regard? Well, we might need a we might need a longer podcast if you're going to poke me on that. I remember everybody making fun of this guy at Virginia Tech that was convinced that seaweeds had these benefits that they could that they could apply. And uh, I've often thought about giving him a call some 25 years later. He's got to feel absolutely vindicated as he did some of this early work, and we all rolled our eyes as he made presentations about what he was seeing from applying these seaweed extracts back in the. Well, this had to be probably the mid to late 90s where he was doing some of this some of this work. Um, you know, you talked about plants surviving. There's all sorts of plants and they're and they actually call them extremophiles. Right. So plants that exist in situations where you don't think plants should be able to exist. And so we look at uh, some citrus plants, plants growing uh, out in the desert, this sort of thing. And there's a whole uh, whole bunch of people that are looking into what are the compounds that these extremophile plants uh, create and how can those compounds help other plants survive similar sorts of stresses without having to go through that, that cost of using all that energy to create these very complex, expensive defense compounds for themselves. Matt, do you think your game has gotten better just in the last few years because of stuff like this that honestly... Uh, like you, you would have, this would have been some pretty far out stuff even five years ago. Right? Totally far out. Like I said, we all, we all made fun of him. And I often think, well, he's got to feel pretty vindicated that now it's just sort of generally accepted. You find tons of examples in the literature and not only that, but now going into those specific compounds within something like seaweed and there's, there's cold water seaweed, there's warm seaweed, there's seaweed from Nova Scotia, seaweed from uh, Australia. I mean, and they have different combinations and ratios of these chemistries and going into the, each of those compounds and actually then trying to identify what are those bringing so that then we could go and we could actually manufacture a product that has the right ratios of specific compounds to try to drive certain sorts of plant behavior. Now we're just on the, you know, we're on the cusp of some of that, but that, I mean, makes the hair on my arm stand up when I start thinking about some of the things that we could potentially uh, be able to pull off. Hey, Matt, uh, yeah. you know, you oftentimes talk about, you know, lessons from your old man and everything about, you know, cotton's a plant that looks to die every day. You imagine when you were starting out, if you told your old man, you're going to take, open up a jug that's uh, derived from seaweed and put it on your crops. He laughed at you. I was, that's exactly what I was thinking when you went back and did the analogy of 30 years ago, you know, basically in my mind, we went from snake oils to stuff that now we're going to pay attention. These are not snake oils. These are products that people way smarter than us years ago was already researching and figuring out 
how to bring them into our plants. It's it's very amusing to go from yeah. If I'd have traveled my dad that he 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 might have I might have had a dent in the back of my head, you know, because of you know it was extra cost and wouldn't do anything. But Ron's exactly right. When the seaweed thing come out, I'm like why in the world would I want to worry about a seaweed? And then, you know, 30 years later, we're looking at this, like we want all those properties and qualities we can. Uh, by the way, uh, Kelly, uh, I, I've always said to my ag people, I think that we're going to look back at all the tillage and it's going to be like looking back at the way uh, 400 years ago, we used leeches for health, you know, for medicine. I think we're going to look back you know, and say, why did we do all that tillage? We know it just you know beats the hell out of your soil structure. There's a lot of really negative things about uh, excess tillage. Are we going to be there on fer fertilizer? Are we going to look back a century from now and say, oh yeah, back then they didn't know any better, so they just went and just dumped, <laughs> just literally poured fertilizer to it, and it wasn't their limiting factor? Is that where we're going to be a hundred years from now, twenty years from now? Yes. Well, I I believe that we'll be there in my soils. Uh, what we're mineralizing here organically uh nitrogen especially a lot of potassium things like that and uh, i think the mistake that is made is that we know what it takes to produce a crop and we feel like we've got to supply every bit of it and then when we do that we get out of tune with mother nature out of balance with mother nature and that's that's the that's the whole problem uh, it when we don't when we don't work in conjunction with mother nature and you're it that's a lot of the reason we're not reaching our potential. I'm having trouble verbalizing it because it's such a new and big topic for me, but that, that really is. It doesn't mean, you know, it, it, it takes one bushel or pardon me, it takes one pound or 1.1 pound of nitrogen to produce a bushel of corn. That's exactly true. But we think we've got to supply all of it. And, mm -hmm. and we don't, I, I, I don't hear Matt and Lane, their soil is different than mine. They're going to give me a hard time for being an ice cream farmer. I know that it's okay. It's an advantage that we have here, but the disadvantage that we have here is we don't understand it enough yet. There's so much K in the soil. There's so much nitrogen being produced in the soil, but yet we have to feel we dump 100% on what the crop uses. We're out of balance. And, and that's where we need to get to. And I, that's, that's the focus we have now. You know, I, I had the stress mitigation focus. Now that's become grower standard practice. And now we're trying to get in balance. And I believe that we will get closer to the 600. Not at the 600, but I believe we'll get closer to the 600 in the next year. Right, he's having year a so when we figure it out, learn, at least learn yep. more about it. Yeah, I have a little bit of internet problems. So if you're listening to this, uh, Kelly just had a storm last night. And so uh, he had to send, he had to send Cletus up the telephone pole and, uh, and turn the dish again this morning. <laughs> hey, uh, Ron, is that true? Is, is it true that... Uh, we're just on the cusp of this thing. Now it's about balance because stress mitigation is something we've talked about a lot here. And it seems like now when I was out in Iowa two weeks ago, it was dry, terrible dry. And mm -hmm. things didn't look nearly as bad as you would think that they should have. And I think it's because of some of the practices that they're doing. So I think maybe the extreme ag guys are at the very front end of this. And now it's getting to where like, it doesn't even seem new or novel, <laughs> you know, but it is for most farmers. And, and I'm not putting anybody down. It's just that most people still focus on, fertilizer and not mm -hmm. stress am i right yeah i think uh, i mean you're talking to some pretty progressive folks that are that are willing to think about new things right some of us can uh be uh, a little bit confident in our own understanding of everything and not always wanting to embrace new ideas 
Um, that would certainly not be the case with the folks on in this discussion, right? And so maybe they're out a little bit ahead, and it feels like, um, I would say, Kelly, probably uh, sometimes you get bored with the message before the message has actually been delivered, and that there's probably a lot of folks out there that uh, still have not considered how that plant stress is keeping them from getting to what they can get at. Um, but I do not think that you are uh, off base at all. When we look at the efficiencies of the fertilizers that we're applying and, and the, the meat that's left on the bone there to get better at that, uh, somebody's going to figure it out and it's going to be amazing, right? So when we can get uh, something that's 15 to 30% efficient, up to 80 or 85% efficient, oh. it's going to be amazing. When we can get something that's 40 to 50% efficient, up to 95% efficient, it's going to be amazing. Um, and I think that, uh, I mean, I just was uh, looking at a slide the other day of all the different companies that are that are putting their brain power towards this. And, and we're going to get there. And it's going to be it's going to be certainly in our lifetimes. It's going to look very, very different on how we're able to produce a crop. Hey, Lane, I want to ask you this question. I did it two weeks ago with uh, with Kelly's kid, Vern. Uh, since you're the young one here, that's nearer to your uh, uh, education. I asked Vern, I said, how many times at Iowa State to get your degree in agronomy did they talk about reducing stress on your crops? And of course he said, never. I've I've talked more and learned more about stress mitigation because of what we're doing here versus because they still they still don't. I mean, in, in college, did you ever hear anybody talk about stress reduction on your crops? I'm gonna be honest with you, Damien. I I, I liked my professors. I, I went to a good school, but no. Uh, <laughs> not even a little bit i've learned more even just sitting here in this conversation now i mean it, it's listening to y'all talk i mean it, it's you learn you learn more and more every day it, it by far have learned 10 times more in this group than i have in college ever well no offense but seriously ron I, it's still it's it's <laughs> the agronomics are sound and all the you know i'm sure at the, at the michigan states and the purdue's and the iowa states all this kind of stuff it's but they're not still out here on the front end of this where yield is really being lost i mean there's still kind of there's it seems to me that there's there still is this almost old-fashioned academia when it comes to maximizing your uh outputs the, the, the you, speed you, of innovation that happens at the at the grower level is is staggering to me i spent 17 years in the crop and soil science department at michigan state and uh, I had an extension appointment and I thought I understood how the world worked. Okay. When I moved over into the retail space, um, the urgency at the grower level to get an answer, to get something done, uh, I just couldn't conceive, I couldn't conceive of that, right? Because as much as I wanted to empathize with the folks I was working with, my livelihood was not on the line the way your livelihood is on the line. And so that push for answers and that sort of thing, there's just a there's just a different intensity about it at the actual grower level, people who are doing it every day that that can't be simulated, even with the best uh, uh, the best intentions. You can't you can't replicate that at the university level. But but still, in today's world, and y'all may agree, agree or disagree, a higher percentage of the farmers, they're still tunnel vision in P and K. They're not even there. There's a low percentage of them that are, are concerned about boron or copper or zinc or all these micros. As Kelly said, mm -hmm. it's not about the big three as much. Now it's a systems approach. 
Mm-hmm. And even the third level is the stress mitigation or extra foliar products or infer products that add to that, you know, and, and the farmer's like, I got my MP and K I'm good. But if you take some of Kelly's perspective and reallocate those resources, the money's going to be relatively the same and the yield's going to go up. We talked about that just two weeks ago when, when we were all up in Iowa, it's not new spend, it's reallocated spend. I mean, that's because Kelly will tell you, you don't spend any more. You don't, you're not spending any more on inputs. That, okay, maybe they went up because of inflation, but the point is you're not spending any more now than you did in, nor, in real adjusted dollars than you did five years ago. You just reallocated, right? Exactly. The goal is reallocation, not to spend more. Really, we're reducing our spend on nitrogen. We've greatly reduced our, our spend on K, and we've added in the carbon, the sulfur, the micronutrients, the PGRs, the stress mitigation products, all of those. And it's the return on investment is great. But as Kelly said, as Kelly said, Diamond, you've got to be careful because my holes are so low CECs. I can't begin to do the exact same thing he does because of leaching, you know, and those nutrients are steadily leaving and we actually have to spoon feed. We'll apply nitrogen three to four, probably four times on our corn crop. Or Kelly don't may do it once if, if yeah. you know, maybe twice. So take into consideration the soil type you're in, not knocking Kelly, he's in great soils, but there's so many different soil types. You have to manage each soil type differently. Yeah. You, you yeah. do have to. And, you know, the thing here, the big thing is uh, we get a spoon feed nitrogen. Well, you know what we've decided now, and this is, this will, people will call me crazy. Mother nature is spoon feeding the nitrogen here. We need to be spoon feeding the micronutrients, the stress mitigation products, things like that to try to stay in balance and and stay in step with mother nature. Spoon feeding nitrogen is the exact opposite thing I need to do in my opinion. Now, Matt and Chad and Kevin, they probably need to do that in their soils. Here, I don't. And actually it's a yield limiting factor because there's too much nitrogen there. And that causes stress. Ron, what do you think about that? The guy's telling you he's got too much nitrogen. Is he bragging? Is he kind of is he kind of bragging? Is that what he's doing over there? By the way, I got another question for you, Ron. I, I, I got yeah. two questions I throw at you. Seventeen years of a cakewalk government job, and now you're out here in the real world. What the hell are you thinking? <laughs> you and my wife <laughs> asked the same question. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. Let's wrap this up, Ron. Uh, plant nutrition manager uh, with our good friends over at Loveland. Get me out of here. Plant. I would just say, I think it's awesome that this conversation is being had. And that's what I would encourage people to do. If this is, uh, if this is something that you've not yet incorporated at your farm, um, have start having that conversation with uh, some other people that you trust, call your crop consultant, um, be thinking about <clears throat> how this unlocking this bit of stress mitigation, we're not looking again, it's not a silver bullet. How can we help that plant overcome these periodic times where the plant can't do for itself. And maybe that's a couple of days, maybe that's a week. Again, I'm not saying we're making it into some sort of invulnerable thing that can go on forever, but we know that those times are gonna be there. How can we identify that, get the right products in place so we can help our plants overcome those little dips? Even if it's something like what Kelly was talking about, there's gonna be some days where that soil just can't give up enough potassium because the demand in that plant's too much for a certain amount of time. Maybe we need to supplement for that, okay? 
but supplementing by just putting out too much all the time isn't going to be the answer long term. We want to know when those periods are, and stress mitigation is one of those things to make our nutrition go farther. Matt and Lane, you know what's interesting? So Matt's been uh, here in the farming game for almost 30 years. Your yields, are they double? They probably doubled in 30 years, haven't they? And it's not because of the genetics. I mean, it's, it's close to a double, 70% more than it was 30 years ago, probably. Uh, yeah, probably on, yeah, on, on soybeans for sure. You know, I'm relatively new. We're relatively new at growing corn. Right. So, you know, it, that's not so much, um, cotton's kind of stayed a little bit lower than, you know, as far as that much double, but yes, in soybeans, we've, we've, we've over doubled our, our average five-year yield. Well, and again, is, is it, is it because the seed just got so much better? It's all this other stuff like this. I mean, when you, when I was down there last year and it was like 104 or whatever you said, it's, it's not because of the seed got that, the seed didn't get no. double better. No, it's a combination. The, the genetics are better. You know, most everything's better now, but all these things like Mr. Ron was talking about unlocking these potentials in the plant, yeah. you know, that's where we're seeing a lot of, and just, you know, I've, I've heard this several times, being a shadow in the field, you know, not windshield and everything, you know, be out there and see what your plant's doing or have someone hired to do that. Um, you know, it's a combination. It's back to a systems approach. I think we're doing, I think Kelly's doing a better job. Laney is an eye and the rest of the guys at, at being better farmers in general. I mean, you know, paying attention to more things than we did, you know, when we were, you know, 30 years ago, which has probably been more than 30, Damon. I know I'm telling my age, but been a minute damien told his earlier he said something about 50 yeah <laughs> uh, all right kelly uh i think it's neat that you just said that now a lot of this stuff's become standard grower practice so uh you you were the one that said it's an absolute focus it was your primary objective in 2022 about reducing stress on the crops i don't think it's i don't think it's uh i don't think it's left you in other words you said it's become grower, grower practice but it's still it's kind of still your number one objective isn't it it is a number one objective because we don't have it all figured out, but we have identified, you know, well, three products that Ron would be accomplished max, radiate twice, and and now Terramar, or the products that we have identified that have become grower standard practice for us. And like right now, we've even added, because talking about spoon feeding these micronutrients, we've added a V10 pass in corn. Nobody else here has a plane flying, but we do, a helicopter, I guess, really. We're putting on uh, micronutrients, we're putting on carbon, we're putting on Terramar. To, uh, to add to that, we've added a pass because, and we're spending about, uh, we're spending $37 an acre, which is, you know, six, seven bushel. And we believe that that'll be paid off three times. I'm, I'm excited about what we're doing. It's, we're, we're making a, it's a big research project. We're doing this on about 4,000 acres, but I, I have a lot of. 4,000, a 4,000 acre experiment. What do you think about that? Hey, Ron. Confidence, very optimistic. Hey, by the way, Ron, which one's the one that's made out of seaweed? Is it Terramar or Accomplish Max? So uh, it's a, it's actually a component of both of those. It's about 50% of both of those products. Got it. All right. If you want to learn more about this, where do they go? Loveland.com? Lovelandproducts.com. 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 You can learn more about it. And you know what? You can share this with somebody that you can benefit from. It's a great discussion. Obviously, Lane and I are just sitting here like sponges soaking up this whole uh, wisdom uh, and all about stress reduction. It's a big topic. We covered a lot. You know why? Because we think it's probably the limiting factor for you and your crops. Anyway, Ron Calhoun, plant nutrition manager for Loveland. Go to lovelandproducts.com. I'm Damian Mason with Kelly Garrett, Lane Miles, Matt Miles. Till next time, this is Extreme Ice Cutting the Curve. That's a wrap for this episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. 
but there is plenty more available by visiting extremeag.farm. For over 50 years, farmers have turned to the proven lineup of crop inputs offered by Loveland Products. From seed treatments, plant nutrition, adjuvant, and crop protection products, Loveland has the complete lineup to keep your farming operation productive and most importantly, profitable. Check out lovelandproducts.com to learn more.